Good morning, MVCC. Everybody glad to be here? Man, I hope you're ready for some spiritual food because I certainly am. Hey, we believe that what God is doing on the face of the earth is the most important thing ever. We believe God is building his kingdom and we want so much for you to be a part of our family here at MVCC. So um, Pastor Brian mentioned just a, a couple of quick things. But I just want to highlight those because it's so important that you know our heart is for you to feel like, number one, I belong here. God is calling me here. And God, what do you want me to do here? So um, on June 5th, we have our starting point lunch. That's over in our fellowship center. That's welcome to anyone who wants to come. Maybe if you've just been here for a little while or you're just starting to be here and you think, you know, I think I'd like to plant some roots deep down in here. I want this to be my church home. So we serve a lunch. You get to meet all the pastors. We share the vision and we want most of all to meet you. And so that's on June 5th. June 15th is what we call Next Steps. And Next Steps is just getting you acclimated to what's going on here at MVCC and how can I move in just a little bit closer. We look into God's word together about what does it really mean to follow Jesus together. And so that's on June 15th and you can find all that information on our website and our app. If you don't have the app, it's so easy. You can just pull out your iPhone, uh, whatever phone you have and just go to MVCC app, Missionville Christian Church, download it for free and all the information is there. And when you're on vacation or something's going on on a Sunday and you're not here, you can watch all of our services on the phone. I did that when I was on vacation. I thought it was so cool. I can watch MVCC right on my phone on a Sunday morning. All right. Yeah. Hey, Jesus invites us in. We're going to be in Luke 9, 1 through 17. So if you have your Bibles, you want to open that. I hope you, everyone's got their Bible. If this is your home, if you don't, it's okay. We're going to have it right on the screen here in a second. He invites us to be a part of his family. We looked at that in the last chapter in the Gospel of Luke a couple of weeks ago. Just by faith, we step into relationship with Jesus and we are with him and he is with us and nothing will ever change that. Aren't you glad for that? I am so stoked. I, I couldn't go one day without Jesus. I need him. I long for him. I want more of him. I want my heart to engage with him. And I, I just hope these few moments together around this ninth chapter, we just so engaged with God. Who are you, God? And what do you want from me and for me? Jesus, when he was here on earth, he picked 12 men and he invited them personally. Matthew, come follow me. Peter, James, and John, come off those fishing docks and come follow me. I will make your life extraordinary. In 1993, my wife and I were just uh, about six, six years into our marriage, and we got a really, really cool invitation. Um, I was blown away when we got this phone call. Uh, it was an invitation to the president of the United States prayer breakfast in Washington, D.C. that he has once a year. And I remember uh, receiving that invitation, like the president of the United States, at the time it was George W. Bush. And I remember, you know, just being, I don't even care whatever table we get to sit at, just being there in the room with the president of the United States, seeing him live and talk about prayer and his own personal faith. It was amazing. But in that moment, when we received that invitation, I will tell you, we weren't like, well, we have to look at our calendar, see if we can fit that in. 
We were like, we're clearing everything, baby. In fact, we take a, an extra 10 days in Washington, D.C., just taking it all in from this great country that we get to live in. And I just say in the same way, there is a greater one. The greatest invitation that God would ever bring is to step into faith, but not just to step into faith, but step into following him. Our heart, our passion here is not just we want everybody to come to God. We do. We believe everybody is valuable to God and anyone can come to faith. But we want, once you find Jesus, to now follow him. And part of our role as pastors is to help equip you and help you to live for Jesus every day. The battle is not in here, okay? I don't have time to fight with any believers. The battle is out there. The enemy, the enemy wants to stop you. He wants to hinder you. And here's my question. Are you all in? Are you all in with him? In Luke 9, Jesus takes a step into the disciples' world, if you will, and he asks them to do something daring. He sends them out to do the very same ministry that they were watching him do. Jesus says, guys, come follow me. You watch what I do. Then secondly, I'm going to put the tools in your hand and equip you to do what I've done, and I'll watch you and then thirdly, I want you to go find someone else and help them to find the joy of walking with me and ministering to people. There's nothing like reaching out to somebody who is hurting in this world, someone who can't find the answers, someone who has lost all hope, someone that might be dealing with, there's nothing like stepping into somebody's life. And I know that becomes a very vulnerable thing for us to do. I know that that's some, for some of us, not a natural thing to do. But when we step out in faith, that's when Christianity becomes exciting. Amen. This is cool. I love Sunday mornings. Don't get anything wrong here. I love you. I love hanging out. I love the corporate worship. But there's something about stepping out where it's dangerous and it's scary. And I'm not really sure that God shows up in such a powerful way. It's like you get addicted you, 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 you have this passion. God, what are you going to do next? And I just want to be available. That was the situation here in the first nine verses of Luke 9. So let's read this together. And then there's a guy who's going to come on the scene. You might remember this from our studies. And we're just making our way through the gospel of Luke. His name is King Herod. He did not like John the Baptist. John the Baptist called him out. John the Baptist called him out on what he was doing. He was messing around with another woman while he was married, a family member, in fact. And he says, King Herod, you can't do that, dude. God is coming. You need to get right. You need to repent. You need to give your life to God. And so Herod had him beheaded. You know the story. We're going to pick it back up here in these verses, and we'll go through this. And then we'll get to the really cool stuff about Jesus feeding up to 25,000 people. It was his largest crowd while he was on earth. And we'll get into that. So one day Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal, watch, all diseases. He then sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Take nothing for your journey, he instructed them. Don't take walking stick, traveler's bag, food, money, or even a change of clothes. Strange, isn't it? But we'll get to that. Wherever you go, stay in the same house until you leave town. And if a town refuses to welcome you, shake its dust off your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. We'll talk about that also. So they began their circuit of villages preaching the good news and healing the sick. 
And I'll stop here. I'll pick it up in just a second. The reason that Jesus says, you guys, don't take anything with you because I want you to build relationships with the people that you're going to be staying with in these villages. So important that we understand that God is a relational God. It's not a corporate business kind of a, a, a transaction. It's, it's heart to heart. It's understanding we have the same vision and we're stepping into the same thing. And so that's why he says, guys, don't take anything because I want you to rely on the people that you're staying with. So you're going to build relationship and credibility with those folks to share the greatest message known to mankind, the good news of God. And if there's somebody who's sick, you saw how I heal. I want you to heal those folks. I want you to pray, lay your hands and believe that I can heal those people through you. What an incredible moment it must have been. And then he says, and if they don't accept you, shake the dust off your feet. Now he's not saying that those folks aren't valuable, they're not worthy. It's just that this wasn't their time. So what God does, I believe in his perfect will, is he'll bring somebody else at another time, just like he did with all of us. We didn't, we didn't come out of the womb saved. We didn't come out of the womb and, well, I just went to one church and received Jesus Christ as my savior. It took some of us five, six, 70, 80 times before we found the gospel and found Jesus, right? And so Jesus is saying, we're not giving up on these folks, but this is not their time. Does that make sense? So he loves everybody. He wants everybody to know God, and he certainly he wants everybody to step into the joy of following Jesus. Now, when King Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, heard about everything Jesus was doing, he was puzzled. I want you to underline that if you have your actual Bible pages of Scripture We'll get to that in a second. Some were saying that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. Others thought Jesus was Elijah or one of the other prophets risen from the dead. I beheaded John, Herod said. So who is this man about whom I hear such stories? And he kept trying to see him. It's really important that we get the context here of what's going on. Herod is after Jesus. I don't think to worship him. I don't think to ask for forgiveness. I think he was afraid of Jesus. Just my personal thought here, because Jesus was healing people. The crowds were following him. And when you have a leader in power who's not following God, he or she will do anything they can to stay in power. And whatever they need to do to hold on to power, they will do that. And that's how I see King Herod here. I see him as wanting to find Jesus because he wanted to find where there might be a chink in the armor, where there's a crack in the pot so that he could take Jesus down. And so um, we'll leave it at that, knowing that Jesus was walking into all these situations. You know, Jesus wasn't on earth floating around in a shroud and every hair was perfect and his teeth were nice and blue eyes. And he just kind of hovered above the ground two feet and just blessed everybody where he was going. There were people that wanted to kill him and trap him. They hated him. They wanted to destroy him. They wanted to send lies about him to all the people that didn't believe. And so Jesus walks into this kind of context. And now we find, remember last week we talked about they went across the sea of galilee with the disciples met a man who was racked by a darkness not of this world jesus heals the man and then they go back to the other side and now the word is out remember crowds everywhere I mean, we're not talking, you know, a few hundred. We're talking thousands. And I just want to put up on the screen here what it, what it, what it looked like. This, is, this would be what they think possibly Jesus fed 
I know it says 5,000, and the reason it says 5,000, back in the day, they counted families by the head unit, meaning the father. So in biblical days, there were four to five, maybe even six people per family. So we believe 20 to 25,000 people have now gathered here, not for any other reason than to hear Jesus and see him and check out, could this be the Messiah? And so this is, this is, I think, beautiful, isn't it? Let's just all go to Israel. When we just all go to Israel together, the whole church, let's just all go. I long someday to go there. But that's what it looked like there. I just want you to see the seas of people rushing down the hills to get as close as they can to Jesus Christ. And so let's read now, continue on in chapter 9. When the apostles returned, they told Jesus everything they had done. Then he slipped away quietly with them toward the town of Bethsaida. But the crowds found out where he was going, and they followed him. He welcomed them, and he taught them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who were sick. Late in the afternoon, the 12 disciples came to him and said, Jesus, we need you to send the crowds away to nearby villages and farms so they can find some food and lodging for the night. There is nothing to eat here. There's no Chick-fil-A. There's no In-N-Out. There's no McDonald's in this remote place. But Jesus said, you feed them. We have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Are you expecting us to go and buy enough food for this whole crowd? For there were about 5,000 men there. And Jesus replied, Tell them to sit down in groups of about 50 each. So the people all sat down. And Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up to heaven, and blessed them. Then breaking them into pieces, he kept giving the bread and the fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. And they all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. Wow. This is absolutely incredible. 20 to 25,000. Tells me this. There's always room for one more at the foot of the cross. There's always one more space for one more person with God. Jesus drew people around him, didn't he? No matter what color, what creed, what economic status, what language, whatever barriers, whatever walls, Jesus drew people towards himself. And then what I love about this is Jesus exceeds our expectations, doesn't he? I was um, studying around this passage this week trying to just glean something, because I want you to have really good spiritual food to eat. I really do. I, I want you to come here to be inspired and to be excited about God, but I really want you to learn something. Every time I either watch a sermon, read a book, or, or, or listen to a podcast, I'm, God, give me one thing from this pastor. Give me one thing from this teacher. And so I hope this is helpful help and real good spiritual food for you this morning. I found something from Robert Morris that I thought was just peering through the window of what it might have been like a little bit if you and I were there at the feeding of the 25,000 people. I want you to just see this sea of people with me, and they keep coming and coming and coming towards Jesus. I want you to put yourself in this scenario. Not really sure who Jesus was. I think that's why there were so many people there. They were checking it out. And now it's 12 p.m., and it's 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Two o'clock, three o'clock, four o'clock, 
five o'clock, and they're still there, and they're hungry. One version of the Bible says, and when the day began to wear away, probably close to sundown, and they're hungry. And here's the thing I think went on. I just, when I read the text, when I read the Bible, I want to read into some of the things that aren't mentioned and think, what, what would it have been like? I want you to just put yourself in this situation for a second. Peter, James, and John, Bartholomew, Thaddeus, some of them are standing around going, geez, man, it's, I'm getting hungry here. And he keeps speaking. I mean, the series is great, but we got to do something. I don't know about you, but I think sometimes in humanity, we, we form our own little committee meetings. Don't we do that? I had a guy come to me one time. He's, you know, a really great heart. I love the guy. But we, you know, we started gathering together people about seven, eight years ago to pray, you know, in our city. We'll pray on the soccer fields at National Day of Prayer. And the, about the third or fourth year, he says, you know what, Pastor Mike, you got to get together and get a committee of pastors. Oh, you said the word that I never want to hear ever in my life, committee. <laughs> Because committees, what do they do? Sit around and talk, but don't, nothing ever happens. I'm not interested in that. So at our church, Pastor Brian knows this, our pastor's on staff. We don't use the word committee here. We use the word team. Team says we're going to go out on the field, we're going to play, and we're going to win, right? So I think they formed a committee, and they figured out we got to fix the situation fast because we got a lot of unruly people here who are starting to have these hunger pains, but most importantly, we're hungry, Jesus always takes care of us, but he's not taking care of us now. So I think what they said is maybe we'll have a spokesperson. Who's it going to be? We'll draw straws. We'll have a spokesperson go over there and talk to Jesus while he's preaching. And we'll appeal to his good nature because we know that Jesus loves everybody. And we'll tell him, hey, we think the people are hungry. (laughs) Imagine with me thousands of people on the hills. Uh, Jesus, and you're the person for the spokesperson, and the disciples are pushing you forward. Uh, Excuse me? Excuse me? Excuse me, Jesus. I mean, your series has been awesome. I mean, your three points were absolutely amazing, and we love listening to you. But we just want you to know we've talked, our little committee over here, and the people out there are getting, the people out there are getting really hungry, Jesus, really hungry. So we'd like to ask you to close the service and dismiss them because as you can see, Jesus, there's no Chick-fil-A, there's no In-N-Out, there's nothing here. We'd like you to do that. We've talked about it, we voted, and this is what we've decided. You say the people are hungry, huh? You give them something to eat. Uh, Excuse me? Uh, one second, Jesus. And you go back to the committee and they're waiting for the answer now. So did you talk to him? What'd he say? Is he gonna dismiss him? Because we're really hungry. I mean, <laughs> Peter's gonna gnaw somebody's leg off in a second if we don't eat. We, we gotta... F- so what'd he say? He said, uh, you give him something to eat. What? He said, we should give him something to eat. We give something to eat. See that kid over there? I I just imagine this Peter, because Peter's always talking out of turn. Peter's always opening his mouth when he never should open his mouth. He's very impetuous. He's very reactionary. I can identify with him. He's just kind of blah. He just says that. It says, there's a kid. Get his lunch. I don't know what kind of lunch it was, but hey, kid, can I take your lunch for a second? Because it's all we got around here. Nobody has anything. And so the spokesperson, you, are now voted in to go back to Jesus with the lunch, and you are now... 
excuse me, excuse me, 25,000 people. Excuse me, Jesus. Um, again, sermon right on, but this is all we have, five loaves and two fish. And Jesus, I'm really sorry, but Peter is so hungry. He ate one of the biscuits. I don't know how to stop him, but <laughs> Jesus, we really think you should sh- shut down the service. So what do you think? Uh, get him in groups of 50. What? Uh, hold on, Jesus. One second. I'll be right back. You go back to the committee. So what'd he say? He said to get him in groups of 50. Get him in groups of 50. Well, he always said, I remember, remember guys when the storm came up and he told us, oh, you have little faith. Well, I don't want to say that again. So we need to have faith and just trust. I think we should overturn our decision and listen to the master. So you run back. Okay. And so now the disciples and yourself. Now, have you ever worked with people getting 20 to 25,000 people? I don't know. I think about things like this. Call me weird, whatever, but 25,000 people in groups of 50? Are you kidding me? With absolutely no internet, you can't set up an app. There's no loudspeaker. How are they going to do this? 12 guys doing this. Sorry, I think about this stuff. But they did it. They trusted and they did what Jesus told them to do. And they started getting people in groups of 50. And Jesus has them take the bread and the fish and start passing them out with 12 baskets. Do you remember that in there? Now remember, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's the only miracle out of all the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are the stories of Jesus's life, accounts of Jesus's life, that this miracle is mentioned in every single book, which tells me this is pretty important. This is powerful. So... They start distributing, but I just think Peter, I I hate to pick on him, but I can identify with him. Peter's thinking as he's got one loaf here, then he ate half of it, and then he's got the fish in his hand, and he's going to the 50 people, as all all the other disciples, and he's saying, "Uh, Jesus, do you want to pray over this again a little bit more? Because this is all we got. And he goes over to the first group, and he says, now just take a little bit. And I don't don't know if it was like this. Again, I, I just think Peter was thinking about the here and now, he wasn't able to see what God could do. This is, this, is, this is the most incredible part of this miracle. Just want you to imagine the basketfuls and he's reaching down into where the basket is for the loaves and the fish and it just keeps coming. But I just want you to see this this morning because when I read this and I've heard as well as you've probably heard sermons on this, read this text. Maybe those of you grown up in the church, this is very familiar for you, but I never saw this before, that the real miracle, the real miracle of this is that Jesus used the hands and the heart of the 12 apostles to distribute the miracle to others. I never saw that. It says he broke it, blessed it. Remember, he prayed And then he gave it to the disciples and then they distributed and it just kept flowing. I never saw that before, which tells me God invites you and me into this incredible experience of reaching other people at where their point of need is. The the, the account is really not about the food. The account is, this account that we read about is about Jesus meeting the very spiritual need of every single person. And that's why there was thousands of people listening to him. In fact, the King James Bible says, hanging on every word. 
because they thought this might be the Messiah, this might be the one that was promised for thousands of years. We've heard stories from generations, from grandpa and grandma, they told us that the Messiah would come and if we put our trust in him and followed him, he would save us. The problem with that is that they were looking for a military kind of Messiah that was gonna save them from the government rule. They missed the point that Jesus was not come, did not come here, first of all, to fix this earth. He came to save us to a salvation of a new and better world called heaven. And while we receive Christ now, we have a free ticket, a guarantee into the glory with God forever and ever and ever. I want you to think about for a second, when you were created by God, which the Bible says we were created by him and for him, that you were created as a soul and then God wrapped a body around you. And so you were not a person with a soul, you are a soul with a body. That is the first and foremost thing that God wants us to know here this morning is that when that man was lowered down into the roof, remember the paralyzed man? And his friends brought him to Jesus and he just wanted, they wanted more than anything else for Jesus to heal the guy of his paralytic condition. The very first thing Jesus says in Mark chapter two is, son, your sins are forgiven. That was the very first thing because our soul is most important to God. I wanna know to make sure, I never wanna assume in any size crowd, whether it's two or 2,000 or 25,000, I don't ever wanna assume that everybody's all right with God. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have not given your heart to Jesus Christ, we want you to do that. Most importantly, God wants you to do that. That's the most important thing. Anytime we gather around God's table, anytime we gather with other believers is do we know Christ? Do we know him in our heart? Do we have the guarantee of knowing of where we're going when we die? He blessed it, he broke it, and then he gave it. Everyone, watch, everyone was filled. And there were leftovers. I just, the way this unfolds, there's so much in here but what was intriguing to me and what jumped out at me when I was reading this and rereading it and rereading it is that Jesus broke the bread and then it was distributed to the people. I, I, guess, I guess where my, my heart is for us in our 2002 existence with Jesus, and I can speak on behalf of our entire ministry team here, that unless we are broken unless we let our heart break, unless we humble ourselves and let God touch us, change us, we're only this size usable to God. But if we completely allow our heart to engage with him without any walls, without any reservation, God can do the amazing. So, when I hear sermons on this and I've read things about it, God can do the impossible, and yes, he can. But I think there's a missing component. And in your notes, if, you're, if you love to take notes, there's one word that I just want us to leave here with in a few minutes, and that is the word breaking. Are you allowing your heart to break with God the things that break the heart of God? I wanna say again, the miracle that happened wasn't that just Jesus did it, but the miracle was that he put that in the hands of the disciples who were able to help others. This is God's heart. This is God's redemption plan. 
seen here with 25,000 people. It wasn't just to feed their stomachs for a few minutes. He wanted to feed their soul. And by the miracle that was happening, possibly there were some people in that crowd that thought, he's the man. He's the Messiah. He's the one that I want to follow. He's the one that we've been waiting for. All of our fears, all of our stresses, all of our worries, all of our anxieties, we now give them to him because he now is our hope. Aren't you glad that Jesus is your hope that Jesus loves us regardless. I just think God is such a creative God and he's such a tender, loving, caring God that he gives us a window into how much he loves us and, and catch this. This is, this is why I love God so much because he gives us the ability to procreate. Amen. He gives us the ability to have a child. And you know as well as I do, when you have a child, nobody sat down with a manual you know, six months before our firstborn Michael was born and say, okay, this is what you do. This is how you love. And this is what, there was, there was nothing like that. And there wasn't anything that I could draw on any other human being to say, oh my gosh, how am I going to love this kid? Will I even love him when he comes out of my wife's stomach? Am I going to love this kid? And how do I do this? It just happens, right? You just, you love that kid. Even though those kids that we have and been blessed with raising those kids and we want them first and foremost to know God. Amen. We raise our kids so that they come to know God. We don't make idols of our kids. They're God's kids. But we've been entrusted to steward their little lives so we want to train them up in the ways of God because ultimately everyone has a choice and we want them to choose following Jesus. But the best way to do that is to live Jesus in the home. Now, think about this for a second. When your son or daughter or grandchild, do they ever disobey you? Of course. I would never, I would never find myself even thinking, well, I don't love you anymore. You're not my son anymore. Even, even if we went totally off of the deep end, if he just went crazy wild, I hate you, dad. I hate the church. I hate God. I hate Christianity. I'm tired of all this. I'm out. I still would never say, well, I don't love you anymore. I love him. I'm not pleased, but I love him and nothing will ever stop. You know what I think we do with, I think we listen to the enemy. When we get stuck in some type of behavior or sin that we get entangled with, and let's just be real, let's just be honest. We've got entangled in some things that we shouldn't have been entangled. Anger, bitterness, lust, greed, pride, right? And here's the real question. Are we gonna listen to the lies of the enemy are we going to listen to the thought processes of the world? Well, God really doesn't love you. You know, you used up your credit line with God now. Oh, God may love you, but he doesn't really like you. Ever had those feelings or thoughts? I certainly have. And that's why it's so important that we allow our hearts to break and stay tethered to the word. It's so important that the moment we give our hearts to Jesus Christ, the first thing we need to do is get a Bible because it's there we find the power for his Holy Spirit to move in our life. We get instruction from him. It's not some textbook. The Bible in Hebrew says it's living, active, breathing. It's an active word of God. When we read the word and do the word, it becomes powerful in our lives. And all of a sudden we find ourselves on those grassy slopes of 25,000 people and God can put resources in your hands to help other people to know God. The question I just have to just keep ringing all week long as I was studying this. Are we willing to be broken? Are we willing to have our hearts break? Ellen Redpath said these words. When God wants to use a man greatly, he will allow him to hurt deeply. 
I know that sitting out here right now, there are some hurts that some of us are walking through right now. I, I understand that. I understand that maybe in our past there have been some hurts that are just, it's too unbearable to even go back there. And here's what I want to encourage you with. Nothing is wasted with God. Nothing that we've walked through, nothing that's happened to us, any bad decision that we've ever made, he can take that and make something beautiful out of it. I know, I know for some of us that's a really difficult thing, but God's word is to be, is to be taken at his word. He said, a broken and contrite heart, God will not despise. So why is allowing your heart to break before God such a blessing? Because it's there that God draws near, so close. I mean, don't we want to be so close with Jesus, so close to the Holy Spirit? And we have to allow our hearts to be humbled. We cannot come to God proud. We cannot come to God with pride or arrogance or holding back. It must be a 100% surrender to him. I want to encourage you to live with walls down. Jesus said those who are aware of their own spiritual bankruptcy, dependency, will see me. It all comes down, I think, to one word, and that's repentance. And don't, please don't let that word scare you. That's, that's such an encouraging word because it's at repentance. That's where we find God's closeness. That's where we find his passion, his heart. The miracles that he wants to do through you is found at repentance. And that's a very personal thing between you and Jesus. Aren't you glad? You don't have to go to the pastor to repent. I don't want to hear all that. I see all that all week, right? All of our our other pastors, we don't need to hear it. God already knows it anyway. He just wants you. Isn't it funny how God knows everything and yet we hide from him? Because I think we, we don't want to come to grips with who we really are and what we've done. And God tells us, I already know. It's okay. I've forgiven you. First John 1, 9, if you want to jot this down. He is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins. If we confess, he purifies us from all unrighteousness. Not one or two or three. Not the real, real, real light stuff. He says, everything you've ever done, he forgives all of it. So, some action points. What, what can we do as a result of hearing? And for some of you, I know this is probably the 186th time you've heard the feeding of the 5,000, but I hope it's been something priceless for you out of his word through his spirit. I think number one is the blessing of being more like Jesus. Each day requires us to prepare ourselves for God to do the impossible. It requires our life to prepare expecting. Remember a few weeks ago, we did a message on expectancy. God, we are expecting you to do something, but I have to prepare my heart to be engaged with what God wants to do. It's not just magic. It doesn't just happen. I would say that anyone who loves athletics here, it's not, you can't just walk on the field and start playing. There's a preparation, there's practice, there's all kinds of things. There's locker room talk. There's things that we have to hear from the head of the, 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 the team that he wants to carry out these instructions or she wants to carry out the instructions. And then as a team, we do that together. But there's a preparation that is so important. Part of our preparation here is we gather together to worship God. Man, every time I leave Sunday, man, I am filled up and ready to go. I hope that's that way for you. But that's why next steps and life groups, and we want you to get on a team here and serve is because we want to prepare you for what God wants to do through you. 
And it requires us to say, okay, I'm all in. I think the second thing that I see from this text is put ourselves in places to multiply the character of Jesus. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something really daring here. I'm going to ask you to do something uncomfortable because I'm a firm believer as long as that I've lived on these 37 years on earth (laughs) that walking with Jesus is not always easy and it's not tiptoeing through the tulips and everything's wonderful and everything's great. Some of my greatest moments with Jesus have been on the greatest day that I've been hurting the most because it's there. Remember the word says he draws near to those that are brokenhearted. So I'm asking you to step into someone else's pain. I'm asking you to step into someone else's nightmare. Because God does, didn't God say, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. I want to distribute you into the world to feed others so that they would see, number one, salvation. We want everybody to go to heaven, but that we want to help everybody follow him to become a disciple of Jesus and to then in turn help others to become disciples of Jesus Christ. And that means I got to work on my character because it's not natural for me to be like Jesus. I'm not like the rest of you. I'm not as holy as you. There's some bad days that I have and I got to dig down deep within my spirit and say, no, I won't have that attitude. I don't want to have that attitude. I will not gossip. I will not slander. I will not hate. I will not lie. God, I want to do what you want me to do, but that requires that preparation of being in the word and being in worship, surrounding myself in a life group so that we get that preparation. Oh yeah, now I know, God, what you want me to do is to be more like you. I mean, isn't, the world is not looking for a plan. Otherwise the whole world would have been one. They're looking for a person that looks like the man. Amen. All right, number three is this. Place myself in the way of others who need assistance. Maybe something as small as, I happen to know my neighbor's trash cans fell over last week. And so I'm just going to go over there, pick them up, and roll them next to his gate. You know, while I'm mowing my own lawn, I know this, that my neighbor doesn't have a landscaper, and he's out there doing I'm just going to go ahead and mow his lawn extra short. No, but I'm just going to go ahead and mow that lawn for him. There's just little things that we can do that say so much to people that we care about you. There's a man in the Bible just wind down with this. One of my favorites. I mean, there's so many cool people in the Bible. And I'm just so glad when God wrote the word, he wrote it in its reality. All the things that they stumbled and fell with. I'm sorry, Nehemiah was a guy that I can't wait when I get to heaven. I really want to ask him, how did you assemble that team to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem? What was it like being on that wall? For 52 days, you built that wall. 97 years, Israel was in pain, the destruction of Jerusalem. And in 52 days, you built that wall? How did you do that? I know it was with God, but tell me more about it. But here's what intrigues me about Nehemiah. When he was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, some of you might remember this, He did not say, hey, king, I got word that uh, my people are down, that the city's destroyed. I got to go. I got to go fix that wall. We we got work to do, so I'm out of here. He humbled himself. He allowed his heart. Watch this. Stay with me. Just a few more minutes. He allowed his heart to be broken because his people were in pain. No jobs, no 401k, no food, no place to live. The whole city had been ransacked, and they were longing and asking for help. It was Nehemiah who asked permission of an ungodly king. King Artaxerxes, would you find it in your favor for me to go back to my people because I have work to do? 
Now here's Nehemiah's prayer after, after he received the go-ahead. In fact, for days, watch this, I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. And then I said, Nehemiah, praying to God, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those With those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see, watch this, me praying at night and day for your people, Israel. I confess that we have sinned, we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family, and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands and decrees and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. And the people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. I just want you to see with me because of his humility and willingness to be broken, God used his hands to rebuild the entire wall of Jerusalem that needed to be rebuilt. Last Sunday, about 2.45, I received a phone call on my cell phone from our chief chaplain in uh, the OCSD, the Orange County Police Department, saying, I'm sure, uh, Mike, you're aware that there's been a shooting at the Geneva Presbyterian Church last Sunday. Unfortunately, in the Taiwanese service, she began to explain what happened. She says, I need you, because I volunteer with the police department as a chaplain, I need you to immediately get your uniform out and go over to the church. There are people that need some help. So we did exactly what we were told. When I walked in, my heart was so broken for not just the Taiwanese people and what they experienced, but most of the people in that congregation were elderly in their 80s and 90s. And to think that they have been so traumatized by one evil. And then the pastor of the church had been down in front speaking with some of the fire department. I just quietly made my way up and I said, introduced myself and met with him. The tears in his eyes, here's what I walked away with from that. He loves his people. I said, well, are you going to have church service next Sunday? And without even, of course. I say that to say this. When we allow our heart to break, and I prayed for his message today, that it was powerful and strong and loving of his people. When we let our hearts break, God can use us to multiply in ways that we can never even imagine. Will you accept the invitation? God, we thank you that your word is so true. Thank you, Jesus, that you never get off track, that you never lose your way. Thank you, Jesus, that you never go back on your word. And as we climbed into these pages today, God, I pray as we leave this place in just a few moments that God help us to climb into somebody else's life who really needs you. Just 
to be an extension of your love. God, we pray even in this moment of communion time that centering down, God, into the centerpiece of our heart, that, God, you would speak and we would listen. Isn't it interesting that Jesus said, take this, eat this. This is my body broken for you. So our time of communion is for you to just have some quiet moments here with Jesus, just you and him. I want you to just for a moment here, forget about anyone else in this room, but you and Jesus. And I really want to ask you to focus on he allowed himself to be broken for you. So God, we thank you for the elements. Thank you for the bread and the juice that just give us a physical reminder of what you went through, God, for us. We ask that you touch us, God, in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us at Mission Vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here, and we'll see you next time.